Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, February 6th. It was a championship weekend of firsts in the pro tennis world. We had two maiden title winners on the WTA Tour in Lyon. It's Alicia Parks utilizing an exceptional first serve and just an overall aggressive brand of tennis to earn her first tour-level title. I want to talk about why Alicia Parks is clearly a potential future inductee into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She was that good on her front foot, not just this past week, but throughout the course of her meteoric rise over these last four months. I also, of course, not want to talk, excuse me, not just about Alicia Parks, but about Caroline Garcia who I thought looked pretty good. That said, you do see a constant theme emerging in some of the matches she struggled in of late. Of course, there were other players, Kami Asorio, and many more who looked phenomenal throughout the course of championship weekend. So I'll offer my final thoughts on Leon here on today's show. I also, of course, want to talk about Ju Lin, who I named my breakout or most improved player on the WTA Tour through the month of January, and she continues to make me look good as she earns her first tour level title has just played a physical brand of tennis that has allowed her to take away what the majority of her opponents want to do most throughout the course of a match and again she had to utilize different tactics in each of her three wins over the course of championship weekend and yet that variety she's able to play with combined with the physicality she brings match in match out that's what a top 50 player looks like, folks, and there's a reason, again, she's been able to have sustained success, not just for one week, but for five weeks consecutively now to kick off this season. I want to talk about what made her so exceptional throughout the course of the weekend. I want to talk about a great week for Lysia Tsarenko, and then offer my final thoughts on another confounding result for Bianca Andreescu. It does feel like sometimes it's three steps forward, four steps back, two steps forward, one step back. I have a few final Andreescu thoughts to offer on today's show, but I will begin the episode episode with my final takeaways from being on the ground at the 2023 Cleveland Challenger. I was fortunate enough to be there Thursday through Sunday serving as the MC. I got a front seat look to Alexander Kovacevic's first pro title. He wins a three-set thriller, 7-6 in the third over Wu Bing and Look, I got some Wooey Bing final thoughts as well as I'm all in still on the former junior U.S. Open champion, a guy who has just had a meteoric rise over the past year in the ATP rankings, and he was exceptional in his quarterfinal win, in his semifinal victory, and he felt in command for the front half of that final match against Kovacevic. And look, the two played an exceptional match last year in Indianapolis, and the fact that Kova actually had weapons to hurt Wu Bing, that's a testament to the continued development of the former Illinois All-American who, by the way, joined us on Saturday for an extensive interview. You can go hear that now over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can go watch the interview on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well. 
Kova is a dear friend of our Crack Racket shows, and obviously we are so excited for his success, but there's a lot to get excited about moving forward. I want to explain what I mean here on today's show, offer my final thoughts as well on an electric crowd in Cleveland. It's a testament to tournament director Alex Guthrie. That's the best crowd I've ever seen at a Challenger event, and I will explain what I mean here to start today's show. With all of that said, that is your agenda for today's mini break. I'm well aware we've got three tour-level events on the ATP side this week, a WTA 500 paired with a 250 as well. We're going to break all of that down on Tuesday. I may just have to call my dear friend Nate Walrath and bring back Tennis Point Tuesdays as it's been far too long since we've recorded one of those episodes. But again, it's going to be a look backwards here on today's show. We'll start looking forward tomorrow as we get ready for another exciting week of pro tennis action. With that said, One thing I want to bring to your attention before I offer my thoughts on all of Championship Weekend's action. We have another Championship Weekend, of course, in the pro tennis world coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But we also have one of the biggest weekends in the college tennis season. We, of course, have the ITA National Indoor Championship. 16 of the best Division I women's college tennis teams all coming together in Seattle to compete for the right to be named National Indoor Champion. We will have coverage from first ball to last of that event on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So excited to be calling that event for the fourth consecutive year. It's one of, if not the best weekend on the college tennis schedule. And again, you're going to have a lot of 4-3 thrillers. You're going to get to see future players who I promise you will hear from in the pro tennis world. They'll all be in action. We'll have coverage of all of it over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. will be myself, Perry Shinen, on the call, Super Producer. Daniel Westoff working the ones and twos. You don't want to miss any of that action. Friday through Monday over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, on the Cracked Interviews podcast, you can also find not just the conversation with Kova, but conversations with hopefully each of the head coaches of the 16 D1 women's teams who will be competing in Seattle doing a little press row over on that Cracked Interviews podcast. So if you need to get caught up to speed on everything in the college tennis world, perhaps that's the best way to do that. Just a little plug here to start the mini break. We have some phenomenal tennis coming up. You don't want to miss any of it. So go subscribe to that Cracked Records YouTube channel today. By the way, if you haven't already, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, our Breakpoint series where Gil Gross and I talk about every episode of that new Netflix docuseries. We chatted with Taylor Fritz about the series last week over on that podcast feed. I believe we posted it here on the mini break as well. We've got a couple other cool interviews coming up. You don't want to miss any of that. So like, rate, subscribe. Please leave a review as well. I always love hearing your listeners' thoughts, and I think it does help us with the computer ratings if you do take the time to leave that review. So we greatly appreciate it, and all of that content available wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our recently renovated website, CrackedRackets.com. So just wanted to bring all of that to your attention. With that said, though, you can stop hitting the skip 30-second button on your podcast app. Let's get into it. Let's recap another exciting championship weekend filled with firsts in the pro tennis world. All right, let's start with Kova. Oh my goodness, was the former Illini All-American exceptional. And look, we saw not just flashes of that, but really we saw that level from Kova through the final four months of the season. It started in Little Rock at the end of May. He was able to work his way to the semifinals of that event, makes a 
quarterfinal in Rome in July and then reaches a final in Indianapolis in the middle of the month really doesn't slow down from there. Semifinals Lexington Challenger. He reaches his first tour level semifinal in Seoul. Wins over Mackie McDonald, Miamir Kesmenovic in that event. And then look, the strong start to end the season. Quarterfinal, uh, strong, excuse me, finish to end last year. Quarterfinals in Knoxville. Semifinals in Champaign. In each of those events, he loses to eventual champion Ben Shelton. Now, it was a disappointing start for him, certainly, to this 2023 season. He loses his Australian Open opening qualifying round match to Taberner in his first match of the year. And he talked about his screw-up in terms of trying to get signed up for events, why that led to poor scheduling in the month of January. But you saw the level we saw from Kova to end that last year. We saw him sustain that throughout the course of his run in Cleveland. And, of course, he earns four three-set victories on his way to his first pro title last three again from a set down 67764 over Stevie Johnson a match where he was broken just two times a 676463 win over Emilio Gomez a match where he went unbroken and then you know against Wooey Bing a 367576 victory where i believe he was broken just once until the final four games where it was just a break fest between them both and Kovacevic served for the matchup 5-4 in the third. They play this insane 15 or 14 ball rally that ends on a wooey being winner down the line with his forehand that was just – or backhand that was just electric and – or no, forehand that was just electric and then at love 15, he hits an on-the-rise backhand down the line winner that there was literally nothing Kova could do about it. It was just like, all right, now it's 5-all. Kova breaks right back, has the opportunity to serve for the match again. No, no, no. What happens? Wooey Bing breaks back. Or maybe they both held in those second games. Who know? It was such a rush, but it was such good tennis throughout the course of that two-plus-hour battle. And, you know, again, Wooey Bing was the more well-rounded player. I mentioned this at the end of last week. Uh, his ability, of course, 23 years old, currently ranked at new career high number 97 in the ATP rankings. He, of course, won, uh, I believe, three different challenger titles last season, made four different challenger finals, has made five challenger finals since the start of June, and still really has no points to defend until the start of May. He has one futures title to defend until May 9th. That's it from a points perspective, and now he's top 100, so he'll get to play 250-level events like the Dallas event this week. And again, he any matches he wins, they're free points added. He's not defending anything. You understand why he's a top 100 player, though. You see the challenger success. It's the physicality. The movement is flawless. The footwork is precise. It's the ability to absorb, redirect pace. I mentioned this, the roundness of his forehand. He doesn't just drive through the court with that ball. There's action on his forehand. Heavy topspin that he can also you know, add additional pace to and he wants to go Mach 5 and add drive and hit you through the court, flatten things out. He can do that so successfully on both his forehand, backhand wing. He's a comfortable volleyer who understands when to move forward. You know, again, in rhythm, he's always just going to be one shot better than you. He's not going to make a poor choice on the court, and he can crank the serve up to 115, 120, places it well. I don't think the second serve sits short. I, I really don't think it's that attackable. And yet, all of that said, if you're going to beat Wooey Bing, you better have a non-negotiable weapon. That's precisely what Kovacevic uh, displayed throughout the course of this championship weekend. His serve, his forehand— 
they're top 100 good. And whether it's just, again, you watch his service technique, it's flawless. Uh, his ability to hit the tees, both deuce, ad side, his ability to hit the kick wide on the ad to set up a first forehand to the open court, his ability to go flat wide as well, hits the slice out wide on the deuce side pretty comfortably. He hits all the spots. He finds forehand successfully. Go to my Twitter feed if you want to see his one-handed backhand, this, the improvements he's made, hitting that ball on the run, some of the defensive passing shots he hit. He hit a chip, short-angle, cross-court passing shot as a return. He hit a on-the-run, heavy-angle, top-spin, cross-court passing shot by, uh, I think, Emilio Gomez in his semifinal match that there's like three people in the world who can throw that off. And Again, it's the continued movement. It's how much more physical he has become. And Kovacevic, 24 years old, the former Illini All-American, he won a lot of college matches just because his serve, his forehands were the biggest weapons on the court. And a lot of the players, even at the highest levels of college, could not compete with the efficiency and the effectiveness, continued effectiveness of that serve-forehand combination. But obviously, as you continue to progress up the pro rankings, not only are players going to be physically capable of of uh, withstanding that first strike, but they're going to have weapons of their own. And the newest piece to watching Kovacevic in person, and he talked about this in our interview with him over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed in case you didn't hear, um, he talked about the dedication to fitness. And I'm not saying he didn't do fitness at Illinois. I'm not saying there's not a high standard of excellence in Champagne. But Kovacevic was not always a guy doing the extra, extra, extra repetitions. He wasn't the Zeke Clark who's always, you know, doing the extra 30 minutes in the gym, right? And all the little things he has to do to make himself in the best shape possible. That wasn't Kovacevic. He now is that guy. And and in particular, he talked about the recovery, how important that is for him to ensure his body is at his best so he can spend more time in the weight room. And he's put on five to 10 pounds of muscle. You can see it in his legs. You can see it in his arms. You can just see how much more comfortable he is moving forward, how much more time he has to get into that forehand from the ad side because of he put himself in position quicker than he was previously capable of. Now, the majority of Kovacevic's success, if not all of it, has come on hard courts. And you look for him in his career. Kova played eight total clay matches last season. He's played 14 matches on clay in his career. Now, he did make a Tallahassee quarterfinal last year on the clay. Got a good win over Tomas Barrios Vera in the round of 16 before getting knocked out by Michael Moe. I think his weapons do translate everywhere. I think he hits a heavy forehand, not just a deep forehand, so it will rip through a clay court. I'm interested to see how his backhand holds up on that clay, but with his legs being a little bit stronger, I think it will hold up fine. Look, for Kova, it's his first challenger title in his second career challenger final. And with this result, he jumps up to a new career high of number 120 in the rankings. And you look for Kovacevic, 46-30 and 30 over his last 52 weeks. He doesn't have a challenger quarterfinal to defend till Tallahassee in mid-April. These next two months, he's defending two challenger victories and a quarterfinal at a 25K. That's nothing. And I mean, now you look at the calendar, there's going to be, you know, challenger events, certainly that he can play on hard courts. There's going to be events in uh, in Mexico, in Delray Beach. Certainly had he not won this event, maybe we, have, we would have seen him travel to Dallas, but you can understand why he might take a week off given the result uh, that he had. 
I mean, look, now you're getting into challengers, maybe even 250 qualifying. You know, is he going to get into Indian Wells, Miami qualifying? Probably not. Probably wouldn't be a guy to get a wild card either. But that Phoenix challenger, that second week of Indian Wells, which is always such a tightly contested draw, 125 in the rankings, you still probably squeeze your way in. Um, You know, again, you look at for the clay court swing of – green clay challengers here in the U.S., part of that French Open wild card challenge. Kovacevic will get into all of them if he wants to play them and certainly have an opportunity to be one of the higher seeds, potentially a chance, shot to win a main draw wild card, or given how few rankings points he has to defend, maybe he can position himself to legitimately be top 100 and get into the main draw of the French Open. Knowing him, I'm certain that is going to be his short-term goal. It's going to be fascinating again, a guy who's played 14 matches in his career on the clay to see him compete on that circuit. Surface. But look, he's got a little hard, another month of hardcourt runway, and he's positioned himself very, very well to beat Wooey Bing, who I am still all in on. And Wooey Bing, 41 and 9, he's won 82% of his matches in the last 52 weeks. Again, has one future title to defend till the start of May. He's a top 100 guy. You see the physicality, the variety of things he can do. Now, what I loved about Kova is he started mixing in the backhand slice. And he just didn't give Wooey Bing easy rhythm balls to play against because the harder you hit the ball at Wooey Bing, the harder it's going to come back at you. And there are sometimes when Kova hits the big first serve, hits the big first forehand, as good as Wooey Bing is, again, that's how well Kova's hitting with his weapons. There's nothing Wooey Bing can do about that. But look, Wooey Bing's the movement. Again, how calm he remained. And this was such a fun match between each of these two players because of the respect they had for one another, the acknowledgement of how well each of them were playing throughout the course of the match. There were times when Kova hit that ridiculous backhand cross-court flick of the wrist where uh, Wu Bing smiling and playfully hits a ball at him and puts the thumb up as if to say, just uh, not as if to say, saying, man, that's just too freaking good. Like, you know, again, that's his way of saying, like, really? You're going to do that to me? And, you know, after the match, I had the opportunity, obviously, to interview them as the MC, and both of them effusive in their praise for one another. Wooey Bing saying, look, when we play, it's just battles. Like, that's what we bring out the best in one another. And they really did. It was tour-level stuff. Now, it's an indoor hardcore event, but they're both top 100 indoor hardcore players. And, you know, again, you look for Kova, who now is holding 82.3% of the time over his last, uh, excuse me, 83.6% of his time over the last 52 weeks. Now that's challenger level competition, but adjusted for the ATP top 50, again, that would be a top 25 number. And you see that in how successfully and efficiently and effectively he gets through his service games. When he plays first strike, he's become a better volleyer as well. He just has weapons. You need weapons. You need an ability to win points freely. Kovacevic has the ability to do that. He's also a hell of a competitor. He believes so thoroughly in himself. You have to, to come back from a set down in the quarterfinals, semis, and finals. And by the way, it wasn't just top 100 tennis against Wu Bing. It was top 100 against Stevie Johnson, who had a serve and a forehand to match. It was top 100 against the physicality against of Emilio Gomez, who was hitting these unbelievable— he might have the best on-the-run forehand— in all, uh, he doesn't know because RBA does, but Emilio Gomez has a top 20 on the run forehand in all of tennis. Like, he just baits you into challenging that side. But then Kovacevic said, you know what? I'm done doing that. You may know I'm going to approach to your backhand, but I'm going to approach to your backhand anyways. And it was just effective in breaking down that wall. Kovacevic just kept swinging 
a worthy champion here of the of his first challenger title. And again, he's up to a new career high, number 120 in the live rankings. Now, credit to Wui Bing, right, who's up to a new career high of number 97. And when you make five challenger finals, win three titles, win, you know, a couple of matches at the U.S. Open, and you've earned the right to be a top 100 player. And, you know, again, I'm fascinated to see what his schedule looks like. I know he's playing Dallas this week, has a very physical match coming up against Michael Moe, but he's got the biggest weapons on the court. He, sh- I think he, w- if he is fit, he will win that match. And again, it's all free points till May. So I, we're going to hear more, obviously, about Wu Bing, who, I joke, hasn't been eliminated from the GOAT discussion. I mean, again, I think the better the opponent, the better he plays. Like, he did not play well against Kozlov. It was a 4-1 and win in the quarterfinals. I know I already talked about that match. He was up down 3-2 a break in the first set and pulled away from there. But to see how much better he played, how much more physical he was against Sandgren, and just there was nothing tennis Sandgren, who was so impressive physically and will work you around the court, there was nothing Sandgren could do to consistently hurt him. It took the elite fire, I don't want to say elite firepower, but it took the relentless firepower of Kovacevic to break down that wall. And even then it was 7-6 in the third. He's just the real deal. I'm all in on Wooey Bing. I do think the physicality of Sandgren, he can get back to the top 100. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him win the French Open wildcard challenge, Tallahassee, you know, I think what, Savannah, Sarasota, all those events consecutively on the green clay. And then look for Emilio Gomez. I mean, uh, Gomez has been flirting in that top 100 range uh, for much of the past 24 months, and Gomez currently sitting smack dab at number 100, two off his career high for the 31-year-old. He's got, you know, he's in Dallas this week, but does he want to go play the South American clay court stretch? Does he, you know, again, there are things open now to Emilio Gomez, and I would want no part of him three out of five in the French Open, and hopefully he's into the main draw on his own ranking. He can sustain that, has obviously had a ton of success over the course of the past year, 45 and 26. He's made six different challenger finals, all of them on hard courts, man. Two of them indoors. Uh, He's made, excuse me, seven. Uh, Yeah, no, six different challenger finals, all of them on hard courts. I think two of them indoors. He's made nine different challenger semifinals, all of them on hard courts. Shout out to you, Emilio Gomez, the former USC All-American killing it, sitting in that number 100 range. But, you know, again, final thoughts on Cleveland. First of all, Challenger Tennis is elite. If you have one in your community, go support it. It's just a more intimate look than you're going to get at a Cincinnati or at any of the big events because you're courtside. You're right in the thick of things. And what was so phenomenal about this Cleveland crowd, which was over 200 people strong, they were loud. They were energetic. They engaged with the players. It felt like a college atmosphere. You had someone, you know, there was a double fault. Someone in the crowd is telling Kovacevic to use it. You know, they're getting after it. You know, they're respecting, though. They fell in love with Wu Bing, and it was impossible not to because he would do things, and you'd just be like, oh, my God, that's exceptional tennis. And yet, you know, when Kova tried to engage them, put his hands in the air, they responded enthusiastically. That's just what tennis should be. It should be a playground for fun. We have to remember, this is still sport. Let's be excited. Let's enjoy the excellence. Cleveland did that. It's a credit to Alex Guthrie, the top-notch team who we also interviewed. You can find that over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, um, what what it takes to build the, 
the community buy-in that they have in Cleveland, and it's the fifth year of the event. We've been fortunate to play and roll in all five years. You understand why they not only had that event, but why this group was able to get a WTA 250 in Cleveland as well. They just There's no step that top-notch skips, and I really do implore any of you who are curious to learn more about the tournament building process and why some communities thrive, why it's more difficult for others. Go listen to my conversation with uh, a man who every player in this draw says is the best tournament director you'll find in top notches. Alex Guthrie, who we've spoken to twice now over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. But again, that's your final look at the Cleveland Challenger. Let's move things over now to the WTA side of things, where again, we also had two maiden champions emerge. And let's start with 22-year-old Alicia Parks in Lyon. I mean, the first serve is breathtaking. The power tennis, it's just so captivating, and she utilized that power tennis so effectively to just consistently overwhelm her opponents, whether it was Martic in three sets, Kavinic in straights, and Nevska in straights, then to go unbroken in a 6-5 and five win over Caroline Garcia to match the power tennis, the front foot, first serve tennis of the number one server on the WTA Tour right now. If that's not something to get excited about as an American tennis fan, I don't know what will excite you. And, you know, I heard one of the commentators in the match against Zinevska, she, uh, Parks hit a big first serve, hit a great first volley, and the commentator said, you know, that goes underappreciated. People don't talk enough about how successful she is moving forward. And to which I would respond to that, like, let's relax. Career matches for Alicia Parks, 111 and 103 in her career. There's not enough of a sample size there to say people don't talk enough about anything yet as it relates to Alicia Parks. I also just think it's disingenuous to say that people don't talk enough about her her moving forward because anyone who spends five seconds watching her understands, oh, what her elite first serve does is set up that aggressive first strike tennis, whether it be a first forehand, a first backhand, or just downright a first volley out of the air with her incorporating the serve and volley. She plays a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club brand of first, a front foot first strike power tennis that was just elite and has been elite now for about three consecutive months. And as I alluded to last week, she won 10 consecutive matches at the 125K level, back-to-back titles to end last year. That, of course, was on top of her first career tour-level quarterfinal coming through qualifying, beating Pliskova, Sakari as well in Ostrava. You know, again, the big thing was she only made 55% of her first serves against Caroline Garcia and yet won 85% of her first serve points, 57% of her second serve points, fought off all four break points that she faced. Look, there weren't a lot of 10-ball rallies or even 8-ball rallies in this match. It was a lot of first strike, big first serve into a body, short return, first forehand, I'm moving forward behind it. But Parks matched Garcia's efficiency behind that first serve, first strike tennis. And again, Caroline Garcia is the only player who's over 80% via her hold percentage on the WTA Tour right now. Since the start of November, uh, excuse me, the start of October, Alicia Parks is holding over 81% of the time in her tour-level matches. That's elite of the elite. And again, it's not just the serve itself. And for what it's worth, Alicia Parks hit uh, 10-plus aces in three of her five matches this week. She won a lot of free points with that first serve. A lot of unreturned serves, but by the way, as well, or forced errors on the return of serve generated by that serve of Parks. But it's how effective she is moving forward. 
And she needs a little time, particularly on the forehand wing, to assert herself and really rip that ball through the court. Although, again, with how how explosive her first step is, I don't think she's bad defensively. I just think she can get a little bit too power happy in her corners and try to hit her way out of problems when she doesn't need to because she does recover so well. But when she has time on the on her first sir or on her first strike, she's going big to a corner and she's moving in behind it. And God, is there so much weight behind that shot? And you, it's just, you know, again, it just, it's such a heavy ball that you're just pushed back as her opponent. And from a weight of shot perspective, that's how Parks beat Garcia. I also thought, what was the difference between the two of them? Alicia Parks took a step back on the return of serve. Like, she didn't feel the need to have to be on top of the baseline taking that return of serve early to implement the depth she wanted on the return of serve. If she gets her hands on the ball, that ball is going deeper than the service line. That's not always the case for Caroline Garcia. And just, you know, again, for Alicia Parks, she's up to a new career high of number 51. You look for her now against top 100 opponents. She's 12-10 and 10 overall against the top 100, but... More importantly, she's won a nine, uh, excuse me, three, six, eight consecutive matches against top 100 opponents. So from four and 10 to 12 and 10, she's the real deal. Now we need to see it elsewhere. Uh, you know, all of these victories of late have come on indoor hard courts and in the ideal conditions for a big server, indoor hard courts. Someone with Alicia Parks' game should have success, but she did, and she's done it for three months now, and that is sustained excellence, deserved of that number 51 spot. I would be shocked if we don't see her in the main draws of both Indian Wells and Miami, if not as a wild card, downright on her own ranking, and look, I mean, again, she's playing Linz this week. The thing that's so impressive for Parks is you just feel like, again, this game, this power tennis she's playing should translate across surfaces. I don't know what you're going to do with against that serve and when she's on her front foot because she has time. If her feet are set, she's ripping through any court regardless of what the surface is. It's very impressive stuff from the 22-year-old. I, I'm She has immediately become one of the must-watch players wherever she's competing because, again, it's just too compelling. The run she has been on to get wins over Naskova, Zhengshui, Martic, Garcia, even a physical Zanevska who is going to move about as well as you'll see out of, a, you know, again, a top 100 WTA player. Maybe not quite as well, but she's going to ask all the additional questions and Parks continue to have answers. She remains aggressive. I love her body language on court. I just love the confidence. I love the relentlessness. I love the enthusiasm that we see from start to finish. She never backs off, and you need that. It's just the killer instinct. You see, I just think Parks has it, and I'm immensely intrigued. I want to see more because, again, to match power tennis of the number one server and a top 10 player in the world in Caroline Garcia, who did not play poorly, like I just think forehand to forehand again. Parks would win those exchanges. Parks was willing to step three feet behind the baseline to buy herself a little bit more time to swing a little bit more freely into the ground stroke, and Garcia was not willing to do that. Now, Garcia was only broken once. She didn't play a bad match. She dropped three sets on the week. You know, straight set win two and two over Kami Osorio where, oh my God, like she was just on top of every second serve that Osorio hit and was hitting the forehand so cleanly in that match. She plays elite power tennis. That said, if you have some weapons to throw her off the baseline, like we've seen with, you know, certainly Iga and Benchich of late, and Magdalenette was a little bit different, but 
again, Parks has one uh, – Garcia, excuse me, has one speed. She's going to be relentlessly aggressive. And if you have a weapon to hit her off that spot, what's the adjustment going to be? Because she's too skilled of a player. She's too athletic. She, You just feel like if she – and again, part of that – it's a mindset. It's an aggressive mindset that she clearly has built and taking all of those returns early on the rise. She's not intending to make all of them. She's intending to send a message. Don't you leave anything short because if you do, I will punish it. That said, I'm still waiting, you know, again, a second gear, a third gear, a little bit more defensive. I think Garcia has it in her. I would have liked to see her back off a little bit on the return of serve, try to buy herself a little bit more time, just throw a slightly different look at Alicia Parks because, again, trying to take that return early, it just wasn't working. But considering how few Parks uh, points Garcia has to defend to start this year, you look for Par- uh, Garcia to make a final, you know, keep herself in that top five conversation. It was a good week for Garcia. Again, it was really fun power tennis in the end there in Lyon. And, you know, again, wasn't just Parks and Garcia. Shout out to Kami Osorio. Gets a much needed semifinal as the former world junior number one. And you look overall now in her career, Kami Osorio has reached the semifinals of seven different tour level events. She's done an outdoor hard courts, indoor hard courts, obviously tons of clay court success as well. It was her first semifinal since April of last year. Needed this run. You look for Kami Osorio overall over her last 52 weeks, just 24 and 20 overall. This is just her third semifinal in the past year. That said, you know, you look at how she started the year. Good first run win in Australia to get wins over Cornet, Nehemiah, Naskova, particularly Nehemiah and Naskova on indoor hard courts. The second serve was just hanging for her. Both serves, really. Garcia just feasted on it. She just couldn't do quite enough with it. But to knock the, you know, again, she did enough absorbing of the first strike of Naskova, enough absorbing of the first strike of Nehemiah, and she is so good at redirecting balls forehand back, uh, or backhand wing down the line. The athleticism is compelling, and Osorio back up to number 61 with the result. 21 years old, doesn't turn 22 till December. She should be in the top 50 by the end of this season, just in the mix. She can do a bunch of different things, as can Marina Zinevska, who I would throw in that Marie Boshkova category of just like pretty good at everything. Like Again, moves forward well, moves laterally well, not overwhelmingly powerful on one thing, but sneaky better depth than you would expect. And you look for Zinevska now, 28 and 21 overall in her last 52 weeks. She's reached at least the semifinal round now uh, in five different events, three 125Ks, two at the tour level, seven different quarterfinals for her over the course of the past year, four of them at the tour level. That's how you sustain a top 100 ranking. And you look for Zinevska, 29 years old, currently sitting at 77 in the rankings, about 15 off her career high, but still in the mix. And I just think a really tough out. Uh, regardless of surface because of the physicality she introduces. But, you know, again, the big story was power tennis in Lyon and certainly the power tennis of Caroline Garcia and perhaps more importantly, maiden title winner Alicia Parks. The biggest story of that event. Now, you also had the continued excellence of Lin, uh, Ju Lin in Hua Hin. And Ju Lin, the 29-year-old from China, captures, excuse me, 20, yeah, 9-year-old now from China, captures her first tour-level title in just her second tour-level final of her career. Ju Lin, a 4-4 win over Lacia Serenko. She dropped just one set throughout the course of the week. That set was her very first set of the event. I mean, 4-4 four and four over Serenko. 2-4 and four over Wang Xinyu, 2-2 two two over Zidanzik throughout the course of championship weekend. 
that's domination. And I mentioned this uh, when I last recorded, I think Friday, Saturday, whenever this was, you know, it was really slow conditions in Huahin. You had to hit seven winners before a single point would be finished against any of these competitors. And Julin was everywhere. And I mean, again, you look at her now in this 2023 season, a remarkable 10-3 and start to the year. A quarterfinal, a second week at a slam, now a title here in Huahin. She should be 41 in the world. Like, she's number four right now in the yearly ELO ratings, according to Tennis Abstract. That might be a little bit much, but... I mean, again, move. Uh, I think she's in the Bozhkova camp as well. Sneaky powerful, yet moves very, very fluidly. Comfortable volleying, comfortable playing the swinging volley. She's going to put that extra return in play. The confidence is just flowing as well. Like, again, she's just ready for the fight. And I know she didn't drop a set, but, you know, mo- I think four of her five matches went over an hour and a half. And, you know, again, that speaks to the conditions, how physical things were in Huahin, that she's winning straight set matches, and yet she's still spending about two hours on court. But she was just consistently ready. You know, she goes down an early break against Serenko and yet is able to get that break pretty much right back and, you know, really didn't challenge the Serenko forehand unless she was forcing Serenko to hit it on the absolute sprint. She was just so disciplined in her game plan in each and every match that she played. She played excellent throughout the course of the week, a well-deserving maiden title winner. Now, credit to Serenko, who makes her first tour-level final since December 2018 over this past week in Huahin. And, you know, again, for her to uh, get wins over Maria Kalinskaya, played a really good first set where she was down early uh, a break, but ultimately flips things 7-5 before, obviously, Andreski retires down 4-0 in the second. Sorenko's physical. It's a great first four. It hits a forehand when her feet are set. And look, the 33-year-old is back up to number 100 in the live rankings. Back in the mix moving forward. I thought she played a great week. Uh, certainly was impressed by her. I thought the righty Wang Shenyu, who's back up to number 69 in the live rankings, won off her career high. She reaches another tour-level quarterfinal, semifinal actually for her this week. She has been very impressive. Quarterfinals in Hobart. Second round loss in Australia to Madison Keys. Now semifinals in Hua Hin. It's exactly the start you're looking for. If you're the 21-year-old who moves pretty well, great depth on the ball, Again, doesn't have quite the it didn't quite have the elite efficiency to 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 wear down Julin in that match. Julin just got her stretched and Wang Shenyu just wasn't quite prepared in the corners. But again, I, I'm, I'm you look for Chinese tennis right now between Zheng Chen Wen, Julin, Wang Shenyu, Wang Shiyu. There's a lot of you know a lot, and then on the men's side, Zheng Ji Jen, Wu Bing. Chinese tennis is making a move. There's no doubt about that. You see that on the ATP and WTA tours right now. And then, you know, again, last but certainly not least, I don't know what to make for Bianca Andreescu. She was up, what, 6.05-2 on Kostyuk, ends up winning that match 0-6. You know, she the first set was electric. The first serve, the athleticism, the creativity, the power. She was just one shot better than Kostyuk at everything. Dare I say wooey Bing-like in that first set and a half and. Then credit to Kostyuk, who continued to scrap and did force Andrescu to have to be excellent. Andrescu just continued to find that excellence with surprising consistency. Uh, but then again, Andrescu's up an early break on Serenko. You could tell just physically she wasn't there to end that second set. 
You look for Andrescu. She's currently sitting at 3-7 in the rankings. She's going to get into all the big events. Hopefully, she will be healthy enough to play them. She is scheduled to play, and it sounds like she's ready to go in Abu Dhabi as she's taken on Putin Seva in the 500 happening this week. <sighs> when it looks good, it looks really good, but we still haven't seen it for a week consistently, let alone three weeks or two months or what we saw for the duration of the 2019 season from the now 22-year-old. I'm still not selling my stock in Bianca Andreescu, but again, still need it continues to be one of the swing players maybe of this generation on the WTA Tour. You know, that said, again, Kali, shout out to Podoroska. She was a 60% favorite to advance or to win the title to start the week. She does exactly that. Drops just one set on her way to the title. You look for Podoroska, who's dealt with a ton of injuries. She's now back up to number 114 with the clay court season approaching. There is not a doubt in my mind she will re-enter the top 100 very, very soon. But with all that said... Again, that's your look at Championship Weekend. I know there are a few other challengers. You can hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed here. Damien Kust, Jakob Bobro, break it all down. I will go into more depth on what's happening this week tomorrow. But for what it's worth, you look on the women's side, the WTA 500 in Abu Dhabi. You've got you know top 25 players in Kasatkina. Benchich, Kanteve, Rabakina, Samsonova, Ostapenko, Kudermatova, Haddad, Maya, all in play. And, you know, a first-round match was Danielle Collins, Ostapenko. You have Rogers, Fernandez, Kostyuk, Boshkova, Andrescu. It's a loaded draw. You know, Bedosa, Samsonova's a first-round matchup. So plenty to talk about in Abu Dhabi. And then your 250 event in Linz ain't too shabby either. Sakari's the one seed. Alexandrova's in action. You've got on-the-rise players like Kalanina. Potapova, Nehemiah with a good win over Kennan already as well. Von Drusova in action. I think she's going to get to the back back to the top 25 sooner rather than later. Naskova, the rising young Czech, still in play. Fun indoor hardcourt action in Linz happening this week as well. And then on the men's side, I mean, come on three tour-level events. You've got Montpellier, where you've got Runa, Sinna, your top sinner, not Sinna, Sinner, your top two seeds, but also RBA, Davidovich, Fokina, Chorich, others in action in Dallas, a plethora of Americans, Tiafo, Fritz, Wolf, Isner, you know, Giron, Sock, Kudla, Moe, Johnson, Sfida, all the names you're looking for. All the Americans in action in Dallas. You've also got Denis Shepovalov, Miamir Kesmetovich as top four seeds in play there. And then the start of this South American clay court swing. If you're Diego Schwartzman, Sebi Baez, top four seeds, you are ready to get your games back on track. You've got rising stars like Francisco Sarundolo, who obviously is looking to sustain his top 35 spot. His brother Juan Manuel looking to make his push towards the top 50. Lots to get excited about this week in the pro tennis and just across the tennis world. So, of course, we'll cover it all here this week at Cracked Rackets. We'll preview not only and recap all the action at the pro level, but with the national indoors coming up in college, we'll be rocking and rolling over on the Great Shot podcast. A wave of interviews available over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well as we know. It's our job to ensure all of you tennis fans have all the information you need about everything happening in the tennis world. With that said, a shout out 
shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an earning job he does day in day out making all of this content possible a shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world with that said for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone